Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Car Weekly Podcast. I'm Motorsports Editor Nat Newell, and joining me, of course, is Nathan Brown, our Motorsports Insider at IndyStar. Uh, we will obviously touch on the attendance limitation at IMS. There'll be fans there for the first time this year. Um, we'll take a quick look at the uh, Gateway and Mid-Ohio races, since those have happened since our last podcast. Uh, and then we'll look at some of the news. It's been kind of a newsy week despite no races, and, uh, and we'll touch base on that. So um, I guess first we'll hit the basics. There's 10,000 fans allowed at IMS. Uh, what, what was your reaction when you heard the number, Nathan? Sure. Um, certainly glad to know that we'll be able to have fans uh, back at IMS, at least in, in some aspect um, for this race here, for the Harvest Grand Prix on the uh, – October 2nd and 3rd uh, weekend. Um, it's been very weird for the two races that we have had there. I guess three when you include NASCAR's um, uh, cup race, the Brickyard 400. Three big, big races there. Um, four if you include Xfinity. To not have any fans there at IMS um, has just felt very weird. Any racetrack around the country where you don't have fans with those cars going around the track is going to feel weird, but um, IMS has been especially so. So um, honestly, was expecting they might get you know maybe up to 15,000 but I know the way I understand it rather than actually just kind of evenly dispersing folks um, all across that um, uh, front stretch outside grandstands that they have there which is uh, the biggest spot that they tend to host fans for the IMS road course races they really just kind of are keeping a couple clumps, uh, one in the uh, turn one of the oval track and then one in turn four. So you have a section, uh, two sections of 5,000 fans in each clump. My, uh, I'm, I'm imagining that they're essentially using the, uh, the stickers that they had put on seats previously ahead of hoping to be able to have fans at the 500 to kind of restrict folks on what seats they can and can't use. I've been told that um, for folks that haven't bought tickets yet, there will be a mix of uh, general admission seating as well as assigned seats. So you'll see both of those options if you were to go on to uh, ims.com and purchase tickets. Um, big Other big things to hit, uh, of course, will masks will be required in order to enter the track and be required throughout the uh, race days. And... Um, Folks' temperatures will be taken before they go in, have social distancing in bathrooms, at concessions, all the types of stuff that we were expecting um, were if a, a race was uh, to be held with fans for the 500 back in August last month. Yeah, I guess it surprised me a little bit. The Colts are getting 2,500 fans 
Sunday, um, and we're taping this uh, Friday, September 18th. Um, and, but then they're getting uh, an upgrade to 7,500 fans um, for the, the the Jets game um, on the 27th, which is obviously before um, IMS. That's about 10, a little more than 10% of capacity at Lucas Oil, where the IMS is getting less than about a little less than 5% for this race. But I guess it probably has more to do with what sections you're opening and what sections you aren't. The Colts aren't opening the entire 60-whatever-thousand seats either. So I suspect that there's not much uh, controversy there, uh, although at first glance it seems a little odd. Um, do you think fans are ready to go back? And it's, I mean, in, in, the, in these numbers, what's your reaction? What, what do you think? Well, what kind of crowd do you think we'll actually see? It's hard to say. I mean, from obviously, I was not at the uh, Mid Ohio weekend or the Gateway weekends, uh, both of which have hosted fans. I think Gateway was um, just kind of open for whoever wanted to be there, and then they would socially distance those folks properly. Um, I never got an official number or even an estimated number, but they were expecting or hoping to host as many as 15,000 for both of those race days. Um, Mid-Ohio had a limit of 6,000 fans for both day, uh, race days last weekend when they hosted IndyCar races on Saturday and Sunday. I was told uh, that Sunday was pretty much jam-packed to the brim, so maybe right around that 6,000 mark. Um, so IndyCar fans have had a handful of opportunities to go to races so far this year at Road America and Iowa. Um, and then you've got Gateway and Mid-Ohio. So a lots of different opportunities all across the Midwest. But I still got to think that uh, any chance for fans to attend a race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, especially because they've been prevented from doing so twice now over the July 4th weekend and then the Indy 500, I would guess that you'll probably get pretty darn close, if not hitting that 10,000 limit. Um, I know, you know, some NFL teams have had some difficulty just because, um, you know, it's it's just such a different experience going to what I would imagine, you know, spending, say, a hundred bucks to go to an NFL game and not be able to maybe directly sit next to someone or just not have the atmosphere that you would have in an NFL game. The atmosphere will certainly be different, but you don't technically, you don't tend to get, you know, super duper boisterous uh, groups of folks, maybe outside of the Indy 500 for a race. So I would think that you, you know, if you were to buy a ticket for the Harvest Grand Prix, um, you're getting close to what you would hope as far as um, an experience level. Um, so I would think there's probably going to be a draw, especially for the first fans' first chance to get to experience uh, a race weekend at IMS under Roger Penske's tenure um, of owning the track. I would assume that they would be able to get close to that 10,000 fan mark, and who knows, maybe even one of those races, uh, either either Friday or Saturday, probably Saturday. Saturday is probably going to be a, a day that more folks have off and are available um, to maybe reach or get close to that 10,000 fan limit. Yeah, that was sort of my initial inclination, too. But then you're looking, I mean, the Colts are selling individual tickets. Maybe that's got more to do with 
um, just the, the logistics and how you're setting it up as opposed to people not wanting to attend. That's certainly possible, but it does uh, uh, people probably a little bit more reluctant to go back to major events uh, than I initially thought. But I mean, I you know I certainly understand it. Uh, uh, I guess I would be a little less worried about uh, you know Lucas Oil Stadium is a huge facility, obviously. IMS is an outdoor venue, so I wouldn't think that there'd be reason to be too concerned about, uh, obviously, the coronavirus and everything else. But uh, uh, at the same time, I'm not going to criticize anyone for being uh, especially careful uh, in this day and age. Um, How big is this a step uh, for Penske? I mean, I I can't imagine the money is, I mean, huge, but at the same time, um, I would think everything everything helps right now. Where do you think, uh, you know, in terms of getting some fans back in the stands for all of these events, how important is that to IndyCar? Yeah, I don't know how much of a, you know, uh, a financial boost necessarily that they're going to get from this. As I look through uh, the ticket prices um, for these uh, two race days on Saturday and Sunday, um, you know, the the regular reserved tickets on Friday start around, uh, you know, 50 or, uh, 50 bucks or 60 bucks. Um, you've got kids tickets or or flex section. So that's your general admission stuff is 25 to 30 bucks. So if you do that over 10,000 fans, um, you're not, you're not making a huge dent in terms of the, uh, say the, the $15 million that Roger Penske spent to renovate the facility this year in various places and in various ways. Um, I've heard this, I think from, uh, you know, from the perspective of NFL stadiums um, and some other sports uh, leagues that are host hosting fans, probably NASCAR to some effect too. Uh, I don't, I don't even know how much of this is about the financials of it as much as it is just um, getting the uh, the fans excited and feel like they're able to be part of this product this year. Um, you know, from the Colts' perspective, you know, you're able to hopefully kind of boost up, maybe, you know, you hop from 2,500 to 7,500, uh, you know, maybe you get to 10,000 and maybe at some point it gets to the point where it's financially, uh, actually beneficial. I don't know if that's necessarily the same case for IndyCar, but honestly, you know, any revenue that they can bring in at this point, as long as, um, you know, the, they at least get close to the point of, uh, expenses, uh, balancing out that revenue. If they can have a group of 10,000 fans supremely excited about this race weekend because they can go, um, I think at this point it's all about building that fan base and also keeping the fans that they have at this point happy. Uh, and I think even if they uh, you know, just end up with a, a zero profit or even a little bit of a loss, if they end up with some happy fans in the short term and the long term, I think it's a benefit for them in the long run. And just to be clear, I think you just said Saturday, Sunday, but the races are Friday, Saturday. Yes, you're right, you're right. Early October 2nd and 3rd. Mm-hmm. Uh, easy mistake to make since most of the doubleheaders have been Saturday, uh, Sunday this year. But again, mm-hmm. Friday, Saturday. Uh, yeah, and the Colts actually referenced that and they had a press conference uh, uh, yesterday about bringing fans back and talked about how it's uh, and there's an element of getting people comfortable with coming back and, and how they do things and, and, and things along those lines. I'm sure that'll be the same for everyone. Um, I don't know if you saw it or not, but there was a, a coronavirus positive at the Chiefs game, the, the NFL mm-hmm. opener. And I guess it Additional 10 fans had to quarantine uh, because of contact with that person. So, uh, um, you know, again, there's a lot of things still to wrestle with here. But, 
Um, let's move on to the uh, the races. Uh, let's start with Gateway. Um, obviously, a great battle there uh, between Dixon and Sato. But uh, just hit the highlights for us on uh, on the St. Louis weekend. Yeah, it was a that race one there. Um, it was the first week, the first race, and the first race weekend uh, following the Indy 500. We got another taste uh, of round two of a battle between Scott Dixon and Takuma Sato. Uh, the first version obviously went Sato's way in the 500 with those two battling down the stretch in the last uh, 25 to 30 laps of that race. Dixon got the upper hand um, on Saturday of that race weekend. That also actually um, ended under, uh, or I'm trying to, no, the, the Sunday race ended under caution, um, I think. But it was a, a, an interesting race. Um, Scott Dixon picked up his uh, fourth win of the year there to uh, certainly pad his uh, pad his lead on Joseph Newgard in the standings. Joseph would go on to win the following day on Sunday um, to cut into that a little bit. Scott fell back, um, and I think Joseph was then, at that point, able to get the, the points deficit under 100 points. Um, it was his... Um, second win of the year. Pato Award in particular didn't didn't win either of those races, but um, really had a, a great solid weekend. Pick it, picked up a, a second place and a third place. Um, I think that at that point gave him f- uh, five top five finishes in the last six races for him. Um, he still stands in third place in the standing standings. At this point, um, even though it doesn't look like there's really any sort of a realistic chance that he can catch Scott Dixon, um, really uh, should be uh, an exciting first full uh, IndyCar season for him. He um, didn't fare quite as well in uh, the Mid-Ohio race weekend. Um, Both of those races were won uh, from pole by Will Power and Colton Herta. Um, A good race weekend, particularly for the Andretti uh, Autosport folks, they swept the podium on Sunday there. Um, They've been waiting for some sense of success all year going into mid-Ohio. Andretti had only had uh, one podium finish the entire season. Alexander Rossi got one on Saturday, uh, followed by them sweeping it with Colton Herta, Rossi, and Ryan hunter Ray on Sunday. So those are the quick um, highlights from those race weekends that we've had. Uh, at the end of August and beginning of September, but um, even probably a little bit more uh, that we could dive into there, but those are kind of just some of the highlights. Oh, and we all know that the Andretti uh, turnaround there was a direct result of your giving them a, a D-plus in their uh, <laughs> mid-season report card grade. Um, I, I assume that if you had had you been able to travel for the race, that they would have had you on the podium just to accept uh, credit for that. Um, hey, if I can uh, pay a little, if I think uh, could have that much of an impact, uh, I'd be uh, I'd be surprised. But you know, I mean, it's been a it's been a tough season for them. Um, I think from talking to those guys. Uh, all on Sunday. I don't even... Alexander Rossi didn't even necessarily feel like it was just this um, particularly great weekend as much as it was just a weekend where they didn't have anything go wrong. Um, They didn't have any real major issues with their cars. They didn't have any big pit stop issues. They didn't have any mechanical issues. Um, They didn't get on the wrong side of a yellow flag. It was just kind of all... It was one of those weekends where... 
Um, everything finally kind of went their way. One of those weekends that Scott Dixon has had just about every single race that he's gone to this year. Um, so I think it was a confidence booster for them for sure. Um, and hopefully one that they can ride into these last couple race weekends of the year. Um, it's been a, a tough start and even middle to 2020 for them. Uh, but if they'd be able to end it on a, a positive note, Rossi had noted that uh, more than anything, he hopes that a weekend and a, a handful of results like that could hopefully lead to um, some progress that they could make um, to to iron things out for 2021. Did you attribute their struggles to anything in particular other than just bad luck? I mean, I guess with the double headers, if you have one bad day, it could lead into another. So maybe you're a little bit more likely this season, unlike others to have something like that sort of, uh, you know, pile up on you, but anything in particular you look at, or do you think it's mostly just bad luck? Colton said in the post-race press conference on Sunday after the, uh, pair of mid Ohio races that, uh, which I think had been hinted at a little bit, but maybe not said quite this frankly, that, um, Andretti had really struggled getting the pace that some of these other teams, Ganassi and, um, and Penske, and probably even to some extent, um, the Ray Hall folks and the Indy 500, um, they'd struggled getting the pace, uh, with the addition of the air screen to the car. Um, and part of my theory is that, you know, you can gain so much of a benefit if you have five cars and everything's going right on all those five cars. And we kind of saw that on Sunday. If you if you hone in on a really good setup and you put that across all of your cars, you're going to see a lot of guys likely finish up toward the front. But if you're wrong and off on a couple things and then that extends to all five of your cars, um, it's going to look probably even worse than maybe the issue really is just because you have uh you know more than 20 percent of the field in your garages so um i think that was the biggest issue they'd also just kind of been on the wrong side of a handful of mechanical stuff rossi at the first race of the year where his um engine wouldn't start properly at texas and started off almost immediately uh two or three laps behind ryan hunter ray was caught up in that same thing um rossi the second race at ims had had uh, another mechanical error that he um, you know, dropped out of the race about halfway through. Colton, as you mentioned, um, in terms of a doubleheader weekend issue, his only bad weekend of the year has been at Iowa, where um, he just made a, an error mentally on a restart, where uh, he ramped his car over the back of Renus VK. And we've seen a lot of times, if guys get in trouble with an accident in race one, it's really hard to come back um, because all these other cars that are finishing well are learning and pulling data from race one to then kind of hone in their setups a little bit more for race two. And if you're on that very basic race one setup, even if you feel like you come in and you know, you've properly fixed the car and adjusted it in every way, you can still come in um, with some issues. And I think that weekend, Colton finished 19th both races, including one where he wrecked. So we've seen lots of things like that. Um, for whatever reason, they weren't able to find a whole lot of speed in the actual race pace of the Indy 500, even though those cars had been so incredibly dominant on uh, qualifying and some some shorter runs that we saw. Um, that was a little bit perplexing and a little bit confusing. But um, all in all, um, you know, it's just been a, a few things that have just always seemed to crop up. Um, kind of like Will Power, um, you know, he hinted at after winning the race on Saturday 
Um, it's just been one thing every single weekend that's held him out of these races. He's finished on the podium a couple times before. He's been on pole a couple times before earlier this year and had just never found the luck that you need in IndyCar with the competition as tight as it is to come out victorious. Uh, obviously, you mentioned Dixon's uh, stand, you know, series championship lead um, earlier in our conversation here. I just wanted to circle back around to that. Um, I, you know, you're, you're base, at this point, you basically need the guy least likely to fall apart, to fall apart, to make this interesting. Um, do you think there's any chance that, uh, that Newgarden makes a run at him? I don't think so. I mean, the only way I foresee that happening is if Dixon uh, gets caught up in some sort of an accident in race one um, at IMS and then for, for some reason, you know, kind of falls into that same issue where an accident in race one, even if you get the car properly repaired, um, kind of leaves you uh, going off your back foot to the start on Saturday um, for race two. So um, that's the only real way. Uh, I mean, we saw him uh, at race two at Mid-Ohio. Dixon is in fourth place um, just after the first uh, cycle of pit stops. He um, spins on track for you know something that was co- totally completely his own fault, and he admitted it as such after the race, was just going a little bit too hard going around the corner in turn one. Spins his car. Um, keeps it off the wall, but drops all the way down to 20th place. Uh, has to take an extra pit stop to uh, then basically everyone else in the race um, over the last, I think it was probably about the last 45 laps or so. And he's still able to make up 10 spots and climb all the way back up to 10th. He had what you would call probably a, a horrendous race weekend um, he, I think he drops 24 points to Joseph Newgarden from 96 down to 72. But even at that point, I mean, the fact that the fact that he was able to recover as well as he did, I mean, it really just shows, I think, unless Dixon ends up in accidents, which you don't see him in often because a, he doesn't make on track errors very often. And B, he's also not often in the middle of the field where a lot of that action happens. So um, it would be extremely surprising to see Joseph Newgarden enter uh, St. Pete with um, any more than a purely maybe mathematical possibility of, of getting the championship. And I would honestly expect Scott to actually have it completely locked up um, after we get out of the Harvest Grand Prix, but we will have to, to wait and see. I mean, if Joseph goes and wins both races of the doubleheader, which... Um, it should be noted this as much success as team Penske has had at this track on the IMS road course. Uh, Joseph has not been one of those guys. He's not one there. Um, though Simon and will have, um, he's, I don't think ever finished in the top five there even, and has had, um, a a fair amount of struggles. Um, don't see a whole lot of success. So he's going to have to do something, um, this race weekend, whether it's win two races in a doubleheader or get a first and second or a first and third, something like that, while also hoping that Dixon um, falls back to mid-pack for both races, um, which would be at that track where he's finished second, 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 first in his last four attempts would be pretty surprising. 
let's go uh, to the classic uh, uh, sports talk radio question. Is Dixon's dominance this year good for IndyCar uh, for obvious reasons, because it's exciting and it's great to see someone at their absolute peak, or is it bad because there is no championship, no real championship race this year? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, when I poured through some of the stats over the last 20 years, I did a, a piece um, that ran on Monday and on IndyStar.com and Tuesday's newspaper, just kind of about the the stats and the likelihood around uh, Joseph Newgarden's chase. And it was surprising to see that over the last 20 years in IndyCar, you know, that 70-point range, um, there's only been, I think, maybe six or so championships that have finished at that level or higher as far as a deficit is concerned. So we've had a lot of races going into the final event of the year where the championship has very much so been up for grabs. Um, I don't know if maybe maybe we will see evidence of that in the TV ratings, although I would assume, um, and I think we've seen this play out a lot throughout the season, that IndyCar is doing a pretty good job of um, you know, not maybe drastically growing their fan base and their audience for those races, but I think you're starting to see um, the core group of fans, um, grow just a little bit here and there. I think overall outside of the 500 TV ratings for the series this year and the second full year on NBC are up about four or 5%. So, you know, maybe if, I mean, if Dixon has say a 60 point lead, um, you know, maybe we see those TV ratings be a hair lower than what they could have possibly been if folks purely are just tuning in to see how the championship ends up. But I think there's so many other things, which we'll hit on later in the show today, um, on what's intriguing for the St. Pete race. Um, But yeah, it it is a little disappointing. I I would say, um, you know, if if Dixon had gone on, like he was on, I mean, he was on pace, technically after the first three races, he was on on pace for 14 wins this year. He slowed down a little bit. Um, The fact that uh, you know, he was still picking up top fives in that kind of middle portion of the schedule this year, but not necessarily winning every race, giving some other guys some chance to shine. I think that was key. I mean, if you'd seen Scott win, you know, six of the first eight or nine races, that might have kind of turned people off a little bit. But I think he's had enough success to really um, have this as one of his best seasons of the year, um, while also giving some other IndyCar drivers, whether it's Takuma Sato or um, Joseph Newgarden, Pato Award, Graham Rahal, um, some other guys that we, uh, maybe outside of Joseph, that we don't hear about as often or don't see on the podium quite as often, has some chance to either get close to winning races or actually come through. And do you, how does you think he and uh, Ganassi handle this? Are they going to be conservative uh, and try to lock up the title, or will they be going all out just because they, you know, they, they pretty much got it locked up? They can, you know, clinch it uh, very soon. I mean, what do you think the, their approach will be? Yeah, Dixon was actually asked that question uh, post race after Sunday's race at Mid Ohio, and he uh, was pretty adamant. You know, they're they're not going to go these next three races just trying not to lose the championship. I think it helps that they're going to uh, a track first off at the IMS road course where they've had so so much success. It's not like you're going somewhere where you already feel a little iffy. And so you're a little nervous and apprehensive about trying to, um, you know, maybe in that sense, a different team might just kind of try to 
put something to make sure that you finish, you know, in the top 10 or 12, because as long as he finishes in the top 10 every single race, I don't know that there's any even mathematical chance for Joseph to, um, to get by him in the championship, maybe unless he literally wins the last three races of the year. But I don't see Ganassi playing it cautious like that. He's going to two tracks he's had a lot of success at. He hasn't ever actually won at St. Pete, um, but he's finished second, I think, three or four times. So that's another track even more so where um, they're not going to be trying to be cautious and just be a top 10 car. He really wants to win that race. We heard that from him uh, before the season started when we were headed to St. Pete, before that race got postponed. Um, So I think these are places... Um, that he would really want to get wins. The most wins he's had in a season, I think, was um, six that might have come back in 2008 when he won his second championship of his career. Um, and he has a chance to, to possibly hit that mark again and to win six races in a 14-race season uh, would would really, really be a, a remarkable feat as he goes for his uh, sixth career season title. All right, as I mentioned, we had a pretty newsy week. Uh, let's go rapid fire through some of the stuff. We'll start with uh, um, Sebastian Bourdais. Uh, we'll be back next year. Just uh, give us your thoughts on uh, his return. It was exciting to, to hear that. Um, AJ Foy Racing did a, a great job at stirring up a lot of uh, rumors in the uh, IndyCar rumor mill, which is always very active, but they send out a press release on um, – uh, Monday evening to some media folks saying that uh, Larry Foyt would be talking about the quote-unquote future of the team. Uh, lots of folks were wondering if that meant that um, that they had completely sold the team, that they um, had sold a stake in the team, that Larry Foyt was stepping down, something like that. But um, it's as good of news as you could hope for for this team that was originally planning on having Sebastian Bourdais run the first three races of the year in the number 14 car at St. Pete, Barber, and Long Beach, which would have gone a long way in getting that car set up for uh, for rookie Dalton Kellett to run the rest of the road and street course races outside of Portland, which was going to be Sebastian's final race of the year. Instead, Dalton's had um, to really battle through a lot, has not had a whole lot of success in his rookie career. Um, Tony Kanaan's run the oval races. I think he's had a couple top 10 finishes. Charlie Kimball, who's been running full-time in the number four car this year, has had, uh, I think he had an 11th and a 10th at Road America, finished 11th at Texas, but outside of that, hasn't been much in the picture. Um, So more than anything, Sebastian being in the car the first couple races this year, I think would have put this team, what they were hoping at least, would have helped put this team on the right track. Sebastian is really, really good at finding setups for cars. Um, He's worked with a lot of great engineers in his heyday in Champ Car and in IndyCar. And uh, Foyt had brought in a couple new engineers into the fold this year, and I think they were hoping that Sebastian could, uh, as a driver, almost in some ways be kind of a third engineer in those practice and race days to help them get things honed in a little bit. We've heard year after year that this is going to be the year that AJ Foyt racing is going to turn things around. And this was again, supposed to be the year, um, Bordet being in the car full time in 2021 and the 14, uh, in the 14 car now means that 2021 is going to be the year. And I think if he can be in that car full time, 
um, with a couple new engineering folks, I do really think that they can bring this program up from being a, a real, um, you know, unfortunate bottom uh, level team in this series to be a contender. Um, Sebastian has won a handful of times with small teams uh, at Dale Coin Racing and some other places. He's been a contender lots of times. He can put a car on the pole. Uh, I think just having Sebastian in the car alone means that that car has a really solid chance of finishing in the top 10 in the standings, having a chance to win a race next year. And that's something that uh, I don't think Foyt, as far as a win is concerned, I don't think they've had uh, since 2013. So just a win, no matter how else the season goes, uh, would be really, really big for them next year. Another item was, of course, the new the race in uh, Nashville. There'll be a, a street course race there. Um, a lot of interesting uh, thoughts and uh, concepts that they seem to be um, including. Uh, they really want to make it a, a world-class event. Uh, just how big is that for IndyCar and the schedule? It's one of those cities, you know, when I, I talked to uh, Mark Miles on uh, earlier this week on the day that that race was announced, and he likened the city of Nashville in lots of ways um, to Indianapolis in the sense that any big sporting event in Nashville on a given day or a given weekend has a great opportunity and a chance to be literally the biggest thing that is happening in that city. And you don't, uh, you don't have a chance to do that at least very easily. And IndyCar is probably never going to be almost ever that way. If you're hosting an event in Los Angeles or Boston or New York or Chicago or Miami, you always have other things going on that uh, are taking the attention of tourists or even locals in those cities. So I think for a city like Nashville that um, really kind of changed the game on hosting the NFL draft that they did in 2019, hosting it um, outdoors, really kind of made of it a, a party festival of sorts for the folks that attended that. You always see lots of folks going to that city um, for the bars and restaurants and the live music that they have there. I think I saw they were voted the, the top sports city in America in 2019, and it's really started to become this really hip happening uh, tourist spot for folks for lots of reasons around the country. And I think they have a great chance of making this um, a really important weekend on IndyCar schedule. We've heard a lot from the officials at that press conference that they really want this to be um, not something that's just around for the next three years. They did sign a three-year contract, but they really want this to be um, a focal point of the IndyCar schedule. Joseph Newgarden says that he expects it to be outside of the 500, the uh, the biggest race weekend on the schedule. And certainly after a couple years, when we see how things go, um, I think it might have the chance to. You're going to see uh, IndyCars racing over uh, a body of water over the Cumberland River on the Korean Veterans Memorial Bridge uh, twice in one lap um, for those races, which will be kind of cool. That'll be something that not too many series um, have and currently pull off. Uh, they'll be racing close to the uh, Tennessee Titans Stadium, Nissan Stadium, which they'll be able to utilize for some cool uh, VIP seats inside the suites that uh, have some glass walls that face outside and, and look out onto the track. So all in all, um, as long as we get to August 6th through 8th, um, 
which I think we will, you know, some other road and street races in the past maybe have been a little bit maligned and um, a just getting to race weekend or getting and then being able to continue to produce those. But I don't expect from everything I've heard leading up to this announcement and this announcement this week that this event shouldn't have any issues with uh, being able to, to stay around on the IndyCar schedule for a long time. Uh, Connor Daly going to drive a truck, it sounded like for the first time in his life in a race. Uh, um, obviously a uh, friend of the show and Connor Daly, what's the, uh, what's the situation with him uh, with the break in IndyCar? Yeah, so um, Connor did race uh, in the NASCAR Xfinity Series once in uh, 2018, but that's his only dive into the uh, stock car fold. So this will be his first ever uh, NASCAR trucks appearance. He will go in without any practice, any qualifying, um, and he will be racing next Friday. That's September 25th. Uh, that race, I believe, starts around 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. He'll be in Las Vegas uh, driving for Nice Motorsports alongside uh, X Games and Extreme Sports uh, famed star Travis Pastrana. Um, they have become really close friends from the, the press release that we saw. Um, they've been uh, gotten both gotten really involved in the iRacing scene ever since that became a big thing in the world of motorsports and esports back in the spring when stuff was put on hold and uh, Connor and some others in IndyCar, along with Travis, had created what they call the Last Chance Qualifiers League, which was, uh, for the most part, a weekly um, league where some uh, some greats in various motorsports uh, sectors would get together and just basically pick a track last minute, something that no one got any chance to practice on, and go in and race two or three races in uh, one evening's time in a lot of different types of cars. So this is, in a lot of ways, uh, Connor's real-life version of that. Um, Travis has raced in trucks once earlier this year, so he has a little bit of experience, but not too much. But uh, they're actually sponsored by iRacing and a couple other partners. Um, but it'll be something that I think IndyCar fans... Uh, who are fans of Connor um, as he's driven for Carlin and Ed Carpenter Racing this year will be really excited to see. And I think it's something that's always really interesting when you get IndyCar drivers that are willing to uh, take a shot at driving something else, whether it's sports cars, which a lot of the, the best drivers in the series dive into a little bit, or if it's the NASCAR series that we've seen um, James Davison get into a little bit, who also drove in the 500 this year. Uh, this truck series uh, could be could be really cool. Hopefully, Connor, uh, you know, makes it through those first couple laps as he gets adjusted. Uh, you know, if, and if he's in the race uh, for the whole length of it, um, I think it'll be something that any car fans will uh, enjoy watching. Just one week from the return of uh, actual IndyCar racing, a week after that. Yeah, we're expecting to have more on that next week, and we'll see if it's uh, as completely as insane as it seems. Um, <laughs> Last uh, news note would be Scott McLaughlin going to be racing for Penske and IndyCar, something that um, he didn't think was going to be doable due to the pandemic, but now he'll be there at St. Pete. Uh, just take us through that one. So it was announced uh, in early February um, that Scott would be originally driving in the uh, GMR Grand Prix for Team Penske. Um, he would be 
taking what a lot of people thought was going to be Elio Castro Neves' seat, Elio has uh, these last two years in 2018 and 2019 um, driven in, uh, two races, 14 Penske used that Indy, uh, the IMS road course race kind of as a tune up to get to the 500. Um, and team Penske was really interested in testing out McLaughlin in Indy cars. He's been an incredibly dominant driver for them in the, uh, Australian supercars series that team Penske entered a couple years back. He won the uh, individual race titles in 2018 and 2019. I think Team Penske also won the team titles in 2017 and 2019. Um, So this was an opportunity originally before the pandemic happened to get him in at least one race. There were hopes that maybe he would even um, get a chance to race in uh, several races after that if that original race went off without a hitch. Uh, the pandemic, though, of course, happened, as we all know, um, moved the GMR Grand Prix into the middle of the summer. And between the IndyCar schedule getting kind of put back together piece by piece, the supercar schedule evolving, it didn't look like there would maybe be a great opportunity for McLaughlin to be able to get overseas um, from Australia. First off, just even uh, be given an exemption because uh, your typical, um, uh, person living in Australia right now is actually not allowed to leave the country unless they get a specific exemption, which Scott applied for and was given. Um, but when you leave the country in Australia, you, once you come back, you have to go undergo a 14 day quarantine. So he had to have a three week, essentially, uh, block in the middle of a supercars race, um, and another supercars race and also luck into having an IndyCar race in the middle. So the solution to all that was um, sending him into IndyCar uh, for the season finale at St. Pete on October 25th. Um, it falls one week after the last supercars race of the year at Bathurst on October 18th. So um, he'll be able to come over here, have plenty of time to get adjusted um, he has tested in IndyCars now, I think, three times. It was his test at Sebring. The IndyCar open test, uh, where in the session that he drove in, I think had the third fastest time in the series, and then um, also passed his uh, rookie oval test at Texas Motor Speedway a couple days later in February. So um, there's a lot of expectations that should this race for Scott go well at St. Pete, this could potentially be an audition um, or kind of just a formality in turning him into uh, potentially the fourth full season driver for Team Penske in 2021. Roger Penske did tell me back in August that all three of his full-time drivers in Newgarden, Power, and Paginot would be back this year. So um, McLaughlin coming to the series wouldn't necessarily mean that any drivers will be leaving Team Penske at least in 2021. Um, but it, I think there's a very high likelihood that he ends up in this series full-time in 2021. Um, his bosses elsewhere on uh, the DJR Team Penske um, in the Supercar Series do actually expect him. Uh, they've said, I think even before the season started, they expected this to be the last um, year that they would have him in that series. McLaughlin uh, is also... Uh, married to uh, a woman who grew up in the states. I think their fam- her family lives in the New York area. Um, he'd been he'd been quoted and has said, I think at media day back in February, that he'd always told her he would do his very best to uh, get 
his racing career to end up in the States. So she'd be a lot closer to her parents and family. Um, so this would be a great opportunity for that and a great chance for one of the rising stars in uh, the Team Penske fold to be able to get into IndyCar, which is a, a great thing, um, I think, for everyone. Um, so that's where that stands of now. And I would imagine um, he will be, like I said, one of the many folks involved in some silly season uh, announcements once we get past uh, the end of the season in late October. All right, and then uh, you had solicited a few questions on Twitter. Why don't you uh, run us through those as we wrap up our podcast here? Yeah, so um, first one comes from Sancho Ponzi on Twitter. Um, He said, what will the uh, CGR team Chippy Ganassi Racing lineup look like next year? Um, Anyone out to make room for Johnson? He's also obviously referring to Jimmy Johnson, who... Um, was announced a couple weeks ago would be coming to drive the uh, road and street course races for Ganassi provided that he's able to land the proper sponsorship funding. So what I have heard, um, I was told by a source uh, that the plans at Ganassi is that this will be a fourth car entry. Um, We are not sure if this will be a fourth full season entry, but uh, Jimmy Johnson, as long as nothing changes, will not be kicking out um, Scott Dixon, certainly not, uh, or Felix Rosenquist or Marcus Erickson. Both those guys, you know, Felix getting his first win of the year. Um, Marcus, even without a win, has been a little bit more consistent in the series this year with, I think, four or five, top five or six finishes. Um, So I would expect the Ganassi team to look um, the same as it does this year with a with the addition of a seven-time NASCAR Cup champion. Um, Another question from uh, Ponzi uh, asked if um, Sergio Perez joins McLaren, do you think IndyCar will get a Mexico Grand Prix on the calendar to expand to that market? Um, Sergio Perez, the uh, current Formula One driver, is out at Racing Point. Um, He had a three-year contract uh, that the team essentially tore up to make room for Sebastian Vettel in that same seat next year. So he's, uh, will be a free agent is planning to look around in formula one to still find a seat there, but he's been one of those rumored names that would be a a big land for someone in, uh, in IndyCar McLaren, obviously has been one of those teams that's been rumored to that effect because they have that relationship between both series. Um, I would say if, uh, Perez does find a seat, whether it's with McLaren or someone else. Um, IndyCar and Roger Penske would be very, very smart to try to find a way to race in Mexico. I know Roger is really big on date equity and trying to just solidify races so that the schedule is basically the same every year. But you have a budding star in Pato Award, um, as well as potentially Sergio Perez, that are becoming really big racing names in Mexico. It wouldn't be that big of a travel um, for any IndyCar teams, you know, different to, you know, going overseas to Europe or Japan or South and other places in Central or South America. So I think that would be a, a really exciting thing that should we get a, a second full-time Mexican driver in the series would be something that you could definitely look out for. Um, question from... Ben Hartford said, uh, any updates on the third engine manufacturer? Um, and could the calendar see a third race at IMS as soon as 2021? On that first question, 
Um, you know, we've asked Jay Fry this several times this year. It, it seems like they still think they're close, but we have heard that um, that line from IndyCar for quite a long time now. I don't know how very, very close they are. I think they're still kind of in the weeding out stage. And as, as we get further and further down the line on this, I think it would be really difficult to see that third engine manufacturer come in for 2022 when um, a lot of those engine regulations are set to change. Um, I, IndyCar had tabbed that season as uh, the place where they would hope to have some sort of a hybrid engine uh, in place. And it's seeming like, um, you know, the further, the closer and closer that we get to that um, being essentially a year and a half down the road now, unless they, unless IndyCar is really keeping this under wraps pretty tightly, um, and and being kind of coy with how they've said this publicly, um, I would imagine that you know maybe you don't see that third engine manufactured till a little bit down the road. But a lot of that could change. Um, hopefully, we'll get more of an update on that that Jay Fry announced closer to the end of the uh, 2020 season. As far as the third race at IMS for next year, I think is very possible. Um, everything I heard from both sides, NASCAR and IndyCar, is that folks really did like that um, pairing between those two series, and it was a good track to do it. Um, NASCAR, uh, at least on the Xfinity side, had a really exciting race um, on the road course. Um, I think it was maybe a little bit more attention brought to the Brickyard 400, a little bit more attention brought to IndyCar's road race, uh, but I do think you will still have that uh, GMR Grand Prix in the month of May to lead into the 500. And then maybe you'd come back with a, a separate event. Um, uh, you know, maybe it's in the, you know, later in the, in the summer, maybe around like August um, has been a date that I have heard thrown around um, for a landing spot for a potential third uh, IMS race for IndyCar. So that I would, uh, I think we'll learn more about that in the coming weeks. I'm going to be working on doing some reporting on that. So I would stay tuned to that effect. Um, Question from Michael Tursky, um, asking a little bit about Scott McLaughlin. How will he perform at St. Pete? Um, I think he could be really strong. I don't think he's necessarily going to be in contention to win that race, but I would expect him, you know, with Team Penske power, um, the fact that they've had a, a good amount of success at that race in the past, I would um, expect him to definitely be in the front of the field as long as he doesn't have any accidents. You know, probably someone that could contend for a top 10. We've seen drivers, whether it's Robert Wickens or Felix Rosenquist, uh, in their rookie seasons at that track have a good amount of success right off the bat. And I, I would expect Scott with as much success he's had in racing in his career to be able to match something like that. Um, Phil Gacky asks, any changes to the cars or the air screen for 2021, um, whether it's air vents or something else, I would say, um, I, I would expect, uh, the cooling and ventilation system that IndyCar has currently, um, you know, compared to uh, exiting mid-Ohio versus the start of 2021, I think that will continue to evolve. We've seen lots of different iterations of that all year, almost in some effects, um, just on a, a race weekend to race weekend basis. And I think they will continue to tinker with that. There have still been a lot of drivers that have said the, the ventilation is still a big issue Alexander Rossi even said on his and uh, James Hinchcliffe's podcast this week that if Mid-Ohio had been held in August 
Uh, like it was planned to for the first reschedule. If that had been a doubleheader, uh, like it was set out to be and held the second weekend of August, that he wasn't sure if he would have physically been able to make it through that second race with just how physical of a track that is and how little airflow those cars get because of how slow they're going on the track at times. Um, so I, I do think that that is something that IndyCar will continue to tinker with. Question from Andy Merrick um, says, what have been some of your personal highlights of the year, um, special moments, stories you've worked on that you're especially proud of or anything that sticks out? Um, I, I will say this has been um, an especially uh, weird season to start covering IndyCar. Um, it's uh, not one that I expected when I took this job nearly a year ago, but it's been a really fun one. I would say some of my favorite moments, um, you know, as, as grueling as it was, uh, I think some of the stories that both me and my colleagues were able to produce leading up to uh, the Indy 500 between the kind of the behind the scenes story to give fans an idea on what the 500 uh, planning looked like. You know, we heard so much about that, but we got some really good details from Roger Penske and Mark Miles and Doug Bowles on that story. Um, the other one I really enjoyed writing was uh, around that same time, the uh, one on the Holman George family. Um, it was really cool to get to talk with some historians around the series just to kind of get an idea um, of what that family did. You know, they kind of left the sport very, very quietly at the end of last year with the sale of the Sears in the track, but um, they a, a lot of IndyCar fans owe a great deal to where the series is, just to be in a place to be able to sell it and it, for it to be an attractive proposition for Roger Penske in the first place. Um, that was another fun one, and then I would say the other one that I really enjoyed was um, heading into the ex first uh, expected date for the 500, where we didn't have a race on May 24th, getting to talk to um, some really diehard, passionate fans about their annual traditions for the race, how they got involved, how they got some of their kids involved, and even grandkids to some extent, um, and hearing about those folks that were really, um, you know, had a, some had some bittersweet feelings, you know, when we were still really early in the pandemic on the 500 being moved, um, and a lot of people really kind of understanding that, but also being sad that they would have a Memorial Day weekend without the 500. Some of them, um, as long as 70, 80 years even. Um, so that was a, a really fun one. I'll, uh, I'll remember reporting that one a lot. And uh, certainly lots of thanks goes to uh, my editor here on the podcast, Nat Newell, for uh, editing all of those long stories. Um, he's probably edited as much, uh, I would imagine, probably close to as much IndyCar copy as he um, has and has uh, been a, a fun year getting to uh, to pair up with him. Uh, one more question that we have here uh, from Andy Krahulik um, on Twitter. He was asking um, a little bit about um, Marco Andretti uh, in terms of the car that he had getting pole at the Indy 500 and then kind of falling off. Um, he said, um, you know, we also haven't seen a whole lot of success from Marco outside the 500. And he said, how do you lay blame between the driver, the strategist and the engineers? Um, I don't know how much of this season with Marco, that's been a struggle. I don't know how much of it's a, a strategy issue. I think maybe for whatever reason, he's struggled the worst, um, in terms of the, the speed that Andretti has 
been lacking for a lot of the year in terms of race pace. Um, he's certainly not been the only Andretti that's been toward the back of the pack. Zach Veach has finished toward the back in lots of races. Even Ryan Hunter Ray has struggled for pace and Rossi and he, even at times. I think um, part of the issue with Marco is that um, we, we don't often hear about it just because he's, he is often, for better or worse, in the back of the field a lot. But he's, I think, had some mechanical issues that haven't been reported on maybe quite as extensively just because there's so much to cover in a single race in a single race weekend that, you know, when you see him back in, you know, 17th, 18th, 19th, we don't often hear exactly how his day went. Um, I do still think he's a strong driver. I think we saw that at, um, qualifications, you know, he, what he was able to do with that car, just very, very, very on the edge and able to, beat Scott Dixon in a four lap race essentially was really impressive. Um, as far as race pace goes, um, and his future, it is a little perplexing, you know, because we've seen him have some of these small spurts of success, whether it's qualifying on pole for the 500 or the couple races that he's won or the 500 that he almost won in 2006. Um, you got to wonder at some point when he decides to hang things up, but I still think he has a lot of passion for this sport. I think, um, you know, in the right situations, he can be a strong driver. Maybe he's not quite as uh, as consistent, doesn't have quite the pace as some of the other guys in this series. But um, you can have a lot of really good drivers in this series. Um, and I, I've heard from so many folks that say that this series is competitive as they have ever seen it. So you're going to have a lot of really good drivers that are still finishing 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th in uh, race weekends consistently. And he, for better or for worse, is just one of those guys. Um, but we certainly hope that he's able to recover and can continue to have a, uh, a couple more years to his IndyCar career and hopefully can maybe turn things around. Certainly would likely still be with the uh, Andretti Autosport folks. So I think those are all of the uh, questions that we have. This week, thank you to uh, all of the uh, IndyCar Weekly folks that chimed in for those on Twitter. All righty, yeah, we're close, closing in on your uh, one-year anniversary here at IndyStar, and it's been a crazy year, uh, to say the least. Uh, but we appreciate everybody listening, and uh, come back to IndyStar.com as we got plenty more planned uh, for next week and uh, going forward. 